All right, everyone, welcome to the EDGE interview podcast series. Uh, this podcast series is hosted by the Butchers Guild in collaboration with Mercer Culinary. And the EDGE is the place where we discuss innovation in adversity, your next level of creativity, and where we explore stories of our industry. So today I'm really excited to interview Chef Eddie Wilson. Welcome. Thank you for joining me here. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. And we just want to talk to you today about, you know, your edge stories. And I'd love to hear about your career and anything that you want to share with us about, um, you know, what you're passionate about in the industry and, you know, kind of what started you on the path in a culinary career to begin with. Uh, my career started out really kind of bumpy. My, uh, my parents owned restaurants and did everything that they could to keep me out of the business. Um, I'm sure there's several <laughs> chefs and people out there would agree with that choice. Uh, and I kept yeah. just getting back in the kitchen and everything. And they, uh, they sat me down and said, basically, if I was going to continue this path that I needed to go to culinary school and uh, uh, get a degree and, and do it the right way. And that really was mm -hmm. the decision that, that changed everything for me. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. going, to, going to culinary school was a great decision for me. It's a lot of fun gave me a great foundation to work from and, uh, and put me under the path that brought me here. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm a prior restaurant owner to where my daughter grew up on sitting on soup pots, you right. know, turned upside down in the corner of the kitchens and <laughs> I can relate. I'm like, don't get into this, you know, you know, she, she washed dishes when she was like 14 for like a couple years you know, yeah. liked making the cash. Getting potatoes at seven for my dad. Yeah, all kinds of crazy stuff. Great kitchen stories that, you know, you don't want to trade those memories, but you'd rather not have your children have them. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Now, it's been a good career for me. Uh, I my The big focus on my career in the beginning was uh, large event catering. Uh, so I was doing mm -hmm. uh, political events, large sporting events. Um, I was the uh, chef for the uh, Indy 500 and the Indy Racing League. So I spent uh, 12, 12 to 18 years in the league cooking for many of the drivers, uh, guests, sponsors, and the employees of the uh, IndyCar series. So that, that was a lot of fun. Um, and that was really yeah. kind of how I got to know Mercer. Really cool. Yeah, I actually, in my catering years, um, got to cater one of the NASCAR races in you know, the VIP tent. And it was like super fun to be that close to the track. Um, see the cars drive by and yeah, I have personal memories of that myself. So yeah, tell me about, you know, I, I love the idea of edge and how I feel like as a country, as a, 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 an entire, <laughs> Uh, everyone in, on this earth has dealt with sort of like these edges of our own comfort or these edges of our own, um, you know, pushing past what would be challenges over the past year and a half. Tell me about that in your career and what you've learned from, from that. Um, early in my career, the edges were just trying to get everything out. Um, our kitchen was an eight by 12 uh, uh, we were eight by 12 trailer that was over the kingpin of a, of a semi-trailer. 
and we were serving about 1500 meals a weekend and there was two of us in the kitchen and three out front over four locations at, at 20 tracks across the United States. So it was, it was a challenge getting food. It was a challenge making sure that it was safe. Um, and, and, and it was fun and rewarding. And you learn to, you learn to figure things out on the fly and, um, the edge of the whole thing was, was staying current with, with menus. Uh, the, the guests and employees of the league didn't get to go out into the community because we were working. So we tried to bring the local flavors into the menus that we were writing. And so the, there really was the, the challenge or the edge for us was to create these, these, these menus at each track. And because we were serving the same people every weekend, we couldn't repeat menus. Right. But it was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, it gave me an opportunity to learn a lot of different cuisines and to experiment with a lot of things and to try to figure out how to take, uh, you know, something that's designed for an individual plate and put it for three or 400 people in a service. So yeah, that was, mm -hmm. those were the big challenges. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I feel like in the in the food industry in general, whether you're a butcher or a chef, uh, you know, those challenges always kind of squeeze creativity out of you, which is kind of what the industry, being from the industry myself, um, I always felt that I was being able to produce like kind of my best stuff on the fly, which I really feel is a common, <laughs> a common creative trait um, in the food industry in general, because we're always, you know, bumping up against, you know, sourcing issues or what we, what we desire people to have a certain type of experience. And then you have, you know, what, what's on the plate right in front of you. So what were some of the, the like biggest, um, things that made you kind of like proud or, you know, that you take away your biggest successes in that, in that arena? Uh, the biggest successes were probably some of the races out in California. Um, I was able to reconnect with one of my, at the race in, uh, um, in San Francisco or in, in, in the Napa Valley at Infineon Park. Mm -hmm. um, I was able to reconnect with one of my culinary instructors. And so I felt like I went full circle and I called him up and I said, we're going to do, as opposed to just doing, you know, a typical menu and, and everything, it was an afternoon race. We set up a wine and food, almost a tapas style menu and had uh, 11 food stations set up in this overlooking the racetrack. And I was able to mm -hmm. use students to help produce and serve the food. And it was, it was a good experience for me because one, it was the chef who taught me garmage 25 years before that. And so I felt like I was able to give back to him and say thank you for, for the foundation that I got from him. And it, it was a huge success. And uh, after the first year, it became a standing uh, a way of service out there. So that was, that was a big one for us. Uh, we we yeah. paired with local wineries um, and, right. they, and they helped us pair the wine with the, uh, with the food. And, and it was a great experience. Yeah, Napa Valley um, has, you know, California has so many 
great resources for local food. I think we take it for granted a little bit. I'm from California. I, my restaurant was in the Bay Area. So, okay. you know, we, we, yeah, in San Francisco. So we're kind of lucky, you know, that we have so many uh, sources and providers and even meat, meat providers around here to really, you know, be able to pick and choose where I feel like and maybe in other parts of the country, that's not quite the case. So um, I can imagine that reconnecting back with your culinary roots in Napa was really cool. Yeah, it was exciting. It's, I, I love that area. Um, I actually, that's where I went to culinary school, lives in San Francisco, so. Oh, you did? Yeah, oh, cool. I went to California culinary before it was bought out by the uh, Cordon Bleu and then was right. uh, stationed in the Marines and ran a uh, uh, galley at the Alameda Naval Air Station. Oh, wow. So you spent a lot of time out here. A little bit. <laughs> Yeah, that's really cool. So what would you say that your current challenges are? Like, I know we talked a little bit about um, how, you know, you haven't been working in the past year because of COVID. And I know so, so, so many food establishments are really struggling right now. Um, I uh, was co-owner of the restaurant that I worked at for 17 years. And in the past year, you know, they, they had to do a lot with um, government assistance and, you know, really downsizing staff. And then I read a lot about now people are opening up and can't find employees. So what, what's your current pulse on the industry where you're at and, and what you're, you know, observing at the moment? Well, I'm in North Carolina and uh, in the Raleigh area and I, and our, our market is opening up. Um, I think that people feel comfortable going out. Um, I, I, Pre-COVID, we had an amazing restaurant scene here. We have uh, some tremendous local chefs who are who are just pushing the envelope with with uh, you know fresh ingredients and, and presentations and all of that. And um, for them and the friends in the industry here, the biggest challenge was just how to stay above water. Uh, mm -hmm. They did a fantastic job of of you know curbside delivery carry out right. uh, limited menus, all those things that everybody, all the restaurant owners across the country did. Um, right. Now I see the same challenges everybody else has. They're not able to uh, uh, find staff. I mean, they're finding, they're finding quality chefs to come in as mm -hmm. the chef de party or chef de cuisine or, or those positions, but, but are struggling to find, uh, uh, you know, wait staff and, and bartenders and, I don't know if it's any different here than anywhere else, but uh, I think things are gonna change soon. Um, Industry-wise, I think we're opening up. Um, me personally, the biggest challenge for me is just how, how can I stay creative and how can I stay current when I'm not in a kitchen every day or, or around a kitchen every day. And mm -hmm. I really just started writing recipes for myself. Um, I, I'm mm. kind of jokingly calling it my COVID uh, cookbook. Um, and I just <laughs> got a, it's right here. No, no joke. I took a binder and I filled mm. every page in here on both sides of just things that I wanted to try, uh, different techniques, um, charcuterie work, barbecue. It didn't matter. Whatever, the, whatever sounded good at that time just went for it and tried it out on the family and and someday i'll be able to go back and look at these and and implement them into whatever the next uh, positions i'm in there are 
That would be a really cool um, book to write, you know, your musings and your recipes and kind of share that with people um, during the process. It's really interesting that you, uh, you know, kind of cataloged it and tried it at home to, to kind of like stay in the game. So where you're at, do you do a lot of butchery? Do you, do you make your own charcuterie? I know that North Carolina, because I've been there, really has, um, a, you know, a very immersive interest in charcuterie, you know, barbecue, a lot of hog um, whole animal recipes. Use, yes. Yeah, whole animal utilization. Yeah. Um, they're, they're really at the like the forefront of that on on that coast. So yeah, tell me about your experience with that and, and what you feel is important. Well, I was fortunate at the beginning of all of this, uh, a friend of mine um, gave me a meat grinder. And so it's a commercial one. So we've spent uh, the last year working with my sons who are, are 10 and nine. They're learning how to make sausage. Yeah. Um, they, they think it's really cool. They, you know, they, they see whole pork shoulder or pork butt go in and then we're casing and, and smoking sausage. Um, it's a lot of barbecue in my house. Um, I've, I've taught barbecue uh, through uh, the meat science department at NC State, at North Carolina State University and uh, conduct classes with them. So there's, there's, there's a ton of barbecue and smoking and, you know, as we, with the small family, I don't really do whole animal stuff, uh, but, you know, still, still there's something at least once a week going on the smoker or, or being ground up and, and trying new sausages. I'm still trying to perfect the perfect uh, uh, Texas hot link and, you know, we'll get there, but we'll, you know, keep searching for one. Mm -hmm. What would you say to people who are maybe um, just like food enthusiasts or meat enthusiasts that want to try out, you know, how they can uh, maybe make sausage out home or try barbecue at home at a new level, what would you say is a great place for them to start? The easiest thing I think to begin with for sausage uh, is, is starting off with pre-ground. Um, get pre-ground mm. pork, uh, get, you know, and then you got your ground beef. You know you've got a good mixture of fat to uh, protein there, which is going to give you your flavor. And Go online, find a find a style of sausage or or uh, you know ground meat that you're looking for, and just make it and try it. Um, the key to successful recipe development is is really only changing one thing at a time, though. It's a slow process um, because if you're if you think it's too salty and you change the salt and you add coriander and you add some more paprika, well, what was the thing that made it better or worse? You've got to change one ingredient at a time as you progress to get the profile that you're looking for. So it's not, you're not going to come off with perfect product immediately. Um, but I think it's easier now than ever to, to try to make your own stuff at home. I mean, you can order anything mm -hmm. you get online. Um, mm -hmm. Hand grinders. You know, the old fashioned just hand grinder, put it in the top, crank, work. They worked for, you know, several hundred years. There's no reason why for $25 at a garage sale, you can't buy one and just get after it again. And you can stuff with a uh, pastry bag. So you don't have mm -hmm. to have all this elaborate equipment. And most people aren't going to make more than two or three pounds of sausage at a time anyway. So, you know, it, it, it dip your toe into it. And if you really like it, 
then you can slowly start buying bigger equipment and more equipment and the attack, or you can even start with the attachments that fit on your uh, KitchenAid and they do just mm -hmm. fine for a beginner. Mm -hmm. As far why, as, why do you, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, as far as barbecue, find whatever you have and just use it. Um, you know, it's the nice thing is you can always order pizza. If you screw it up that badly, <laughs> I, and and it's okay to mess things up, you've got to find mm -hmm. where the where the limits are. You you can't make perfect things the first time out of the gate. Um, you mm -hmm. have to burn something first to find out when it's burnt or when it's too smoky or or whatever. Um, just have some fun. Cook with a friend. That's a good way to do it. And you guys can play off of each other and, and, and become more successful with it. Mm -hmm. Do you, have you found that in your years of um, education as, as a teacher that people get really worried about starting because they think they're going to do it wrong and they don't have the perspective of, you know, like this immersive kind of experience with, with cooking that is part, like it's a process instead of knowing how to do it right from the beginning. Oh, I do think that people get, they get too caught up in the, uh, in the, um, you know, the Instagram photo of it has to look like this. Well, I can't make all my food look like that. You know, after 35 years, I, I still, I'm a caterer. I, I can tell you, I can make a, I can make a buffet look nice, but individual plates, I still struggle with making them what I think they should be with what they, they should look like, excuse me. Um, but yeah, I think people get too hung up on, on perfection and, also are trying to, they're, they're trying too hard to achieve a recipe when in reality, they need to look at the process in the recipe. Because if you learn the mm -hmm. process of making something, then when you start changing ingredients and taking that recipe and developing it to yours, you understand what it takes to make the dish as opposed to, well, step number three says I have to add the salt. Well. Mm -hmm. Skip over step number three. You have to add salt, but if you know, right. if you understand that it has to be added, you're you're already along the way. So, um, some of it I blame on 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 the uh, cooking shows. You know, they make it look so easy, and they have a food stylist, and they've got somebody. They don't ever show you the mistakes or the bloopers or the or the towel that lights on fire or whatever happens behind the scenes. And I think if they showed a right. little bit more of that, people might be more inclined to make their own mistakes. Yeah. They also don't show this, the 16 hours of shooting that gets reduced into a, in a, into a one hour episode. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they have personal shoppers that go out and buy the best ingredients and, you know, whatever. Again, mm -hmm. it, it, it's okay to make mistakes. In fact, if you're not mm -hmm. learning from, if you're not making mistakes, you're not learning. Mm -hmm. What kind of changes do you see or forecast coming in the industry? I think the biggest change coming down the line as a whole is going to be the ghost kitchen. Um, I think that uh, with with the uh, third party delivery um, and people are even though the the, the country is opening up and, and everybody wants to be out more. I still think that you're going to see more food delivery at home and 
diversity of food brought to that house. You may have a, a someone, you know, there could be three different cuisines brought to the house from one delivery. And you may not know, but all that may be coming from one kitchen. And I think the ghost mm-hmm. kitchen concept is really going to be is, is going to be what's going to be the next big thing in, in our industry. Mm-hmm. So you think people will consolidate efforts and you know, kind of work together to to provide, like you said, like a commissary kitchen or a kitchen where people can can come in and, and make, you know, their product instead of having like their own brick and mortar locations just for a restaurant. Is that what you see? No, I think it's more of one restaurant owner is going to own a, a, a Mexican concept, a pizza concept and a, and a burger concept, just for example. And it's going to be advertised as three separate restaurants but it's all coming out of one place that has no front of the house staff. It is, mm. it purely is for third party delivery. Um, it's going to be picked mm. up there and, and brought to your house. And, and I think it's going to be, you know, the, the, the person who owns three different food truck concepts and are bringing them into one location now because people don't have to come to the food truck anymore. They can call Uber Eats or, or uh, uh, Grubhub or one of them and have those things brought to their house. And I think that it's gonna, it's gonna ch- it, family dining has already changed. People realize that they can sit yeah. down at the dining room table and eat as a family again. They just mm-hmm. haven't figured out how to cook their own meal yet. Yeah, I was just going to ask that question because it's interesting. So you think the restaurant dining out is going to lessen a little bit. And, and um, do you think that there's going to be a resurgence in people really focusing? And I mean, families really focusing on learning how to cook better and be interested in that? I think there was an interest in pre-pandemic uh, for that. That's why those companies that were sending you the meal kits um, were, were starting to take hold. I think mm-hmm. that this last year and a half has probably accelerated their business by five to seven years. Um, yeah. And, and I, I, and I, it's a great foundation. I mean, it, it's a, it's a cool concept. You know, you give everybody everything they need and, and, a, and a card that t- t- teaches them how to put it together. But again, that final step that's missing is you're not teaching them the technique of frying. You're telling them to fry. And so I think that's right. going to be a little bit of the missing piece, mm-hmm. but people will figure it out. Um, mm-hmm. I think restaurants are going to become either, uh, I don't know, not a hundred percent this extreme, but I think it's going to be the, the QSR, you know, quick service restaurant, or it's going to be destination restaurants for a uh, um, special occasion. And I think it's going yeah, to be for celebrations and those kinds of things as you're going out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what advice would you have for somebody, a young person who's interested in getting into a culinary career or a career in butchery um, during these times? I, I think the advice that I got is, is probably still and it's still good advice now. I, um, I was told when I started out, work in as many locations as you can. Treat every location with respect. Obviously, I'm not saying change jobs every two weeks, but work, work in as many field or as, in as many kitchens with as many different styles of food as you can. And this includes butchery. 
um, you know, working in a working in a uh, a, a grocery where they're cutting meat or packaging meat, if you you, you can still pick things up there. Um, mm -hmm. Keep going, pay attention, write down things, keep a notebook handy. And I still think that it's important to read a cookbook. Um, don't, don't rely on Google for your recipe ideas. Yeah. Um, I, I still try to read a cookbook every couple months. And, and I do treat them like novels. I sit down and I go page by page and I look through them and um, just, you know, my, my advice that I got when I was in culinary school was read a new cookbook a month and don't make it just the run of the day cookbooks. Go find the ones from the, from the you know, Presbyterian ladies auxiliary, whatever, the little, the little ones, get those mm -hmm. because you're gonna find niche cooking and and you're going to gain things from those cookbooks that you'll never ever get from the big ones you know you know aunt sally's whatever <laughs> salad is you know learn something from that and yeah how she made it not what specifically goes into it yeah i have some of those cookbooks what was your favorite like cookbook that you found that was a, a random cookbook over the years Oh, wow, that was, that's a really good, um, I would say it's probably the ones that are not so much designed as a cookbook. Um, they were like styled after Italy. So it was more of a, what I, what I called a coffee table book. Um, so it was Italy, it showed a region and it showed um you know whatever region it was and it talked about how the food became that way and then there was a couple recipes so i like it when i'm finding out what it takes to uh the reason behind the recipes not only right. not only just cooking the lamb the way that it is um so it was yeah. some of those and i'm trying to remember the i'm looking at them here see if i can find one find the exact name um, I think they were the Heritage Line Cookbook. I mean, they came out like 25 years ago. Um, but yeah, that would probably be one of those. And then there was one that I found when I was down in the Florida Keys uh, that was, um, it was written in Spanish and it was all on Cuban cooking. And it took forever to decipher a recipe in it, but it really got my interest in, uh, in Latin cuisine and uh, Caribbean cooking. Do you have a favorite cuisine that you like to cook? Or eat? Uh, oof. Uh, in the summertime, it's it lends more towards barbecue or uh, Caribbean Latin. Uh, in the wintertime, I like those big, heavy, braised, slow cooked. You know, I, I'm a seasonal eater. I don't think strawberries mm -hmm. belong in January. Um, but by the same token, you know, smoke short ribs don't braise them in the summertime. Right. Yeah, I love like braised pork shoulder or braised short ribs, things like yeah. that. Good. I really also. enjoy it. Yeah. Amazing. Is there anything else that you'd like to share around, you know, like your your experience around innovation, creativity, anything you want to finish up with? No, I just, I just think it's the same point I've been making. I just 
don't be afraid to fail at something. Um, I really think is the is the biggest takeaway. You know, I, there there are cuisines out there that I know absolutely nothing about. Um, you know, one of the big ones is Indian food. I, I understand a little bit behind it. I want to get better at it. I love the food. And I'm always afraid that if I learn how to make it, that I'm not going to go out and enjoy it as much. But that's not true. Mm. Um, just keep reaching for new things. Have some fun. Don't be afraid to fail. And, uh, you know, just kind of go for it. <laughs> Wonderful. I love that. Thank you so much. It was so great talking to you today. I appreciate you joining us here on the Edge interview podcast series. If you want to find Chef Eddie Wilson, you can find him on Instagram at eddie.wilson.1800. And I look forward to, um, you know, speaking with you more and hearing more about your um, upcoming projects and anything else. So thank you so much. And it was great talking with you. Have a great day. I appreciate it. You too. Bye.